0: I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Christian Stadler as our guest. He's a professor of strategic management at Warwick Business School, a much published author, and his latest book is what we'll be talking about today. He's co-authored a new book on an important new trend in strategy, which is open strategy. So his book is called Open Strategy: Mastering Disruption from Outside the C Suite which is co-authored with Julia Houtz, Kurt Matzler, and Stefan Friedrich von den Eiken. So welcome, Christian. Thanks
1: for having me, Martin.
0: So let's kick off with definitions. What is open strategy? It's presumably it's some sort of strategy process that involves others, but how would you define it?
1: Well, maybe I can take you back to 2012 when Ashok Vazvani was taking over Barclays retail business in the UK, and I'll share a little story from there. It's often easiest to, to get it this way. So when you took over, this was the time when Mobile banking was sort of just about to happen when banking was moving more into the online space. And, you know, of course, he knew that this is probably a trend to come. But he thought, you know, in a bank that has 30,000 employees, 320-year-old history, just to change the retail business overnight and tell people what to do is probably an impossible task. Yeah. So people need to understand what strategy means as well. They need to understand how they translate some big headlines into something that is actionable for them. And hence, you know, he organized the process very differently from the sort of C-suite driven process. He set up a first stage where he had various work groups and defined bigger headlines. But in the second stage, he involved virtually the entire organization. They had town hall meetings, 70 of them, where they rented out cinemas across the UK. And they had a strategy jam, which is sort of an online conference where all 30,000 employees took part. I talked to various executives, yeah, and they were all saying that the vibrance they had in the strategy domain was unmatched. Yeah, they've never had that before. Barclays then made a super successful transition. They have one of the most successful fintech products with about 9 million users today. They have things like Digital Eagles, yeah an internal group that helps everyone to navigate this new world. And, and rather than sort of, you know, the people in the bank fighting back, they thought of ways of how they can translate that. Return on equity went up in a very tough environment as well. So it's this different way of doing strategy, what open strategy is trying to achieve.
0: I mean, I think variants on openness and participation and involvement have been around for a long time. Maybe the term open strategy is a little newer. What's new about open strategy, or the case for adopting it, or the circumstances which you might think demand it? So you're absolutely right, Yano. This
1: is not something which was invented by us. I remember, for example, Nokia in the early 90s opened up their strategy process and then developed what we all know a super successful approach. I think what's different today is that there's three trends that make it more necessary to open up the strategy. First of all, when you look particularly at younger employees, they are used to a more more open world. They are used to having more of a voice. Everyone is in social media, has an opinion on everything, and they don't just want to be told how to do things. Secondly, technology enables us to open up the strategy process more easily than in the past. Yeah, You can use various techniques that have been used in the open innovation space before and lift them into the strategy discussion. And the third thing I think is that we notice more and more that when there is disruption, when there is changes that we do not predict, the solutions typically don't come from within the industry, but you need to look elsewhere. And we see that in the startup world a fair bit, yeah, where everyone is sort of the Uber off, but you know, then does it in a very different setting, borrows that approach. Now, how do you reach out to ideas in other industries? Probably, you know, if you open up and involve some people from these industries and and find ideas that
0: are then useful in your setting as well. So if the defining difference with more traditional strategy is the broader participation, is that basically it or does that come along with a bunch of other contrasting elements that differ from traditional strategy? The way you put it, of course, it sounds it's very banal, yeah. If that's it, yeah, and to
1: some extent, yeah, you're you're right. That that is it, yeah. But I think the implications are quite stark. If you open up, then you need to organize your processes in a very different way. You have to find ways to involve people, but don't raise the expectation that we're turning into democracy. The CEO is still in charge, yeah. The management team will still have the final call. So you need to find ways to communicate that and make people enthusiastic about joining without handing over the decision rights to them. And, and of course, then it requires various different new tools or tools that have been used in other domains in order to make that doable and make it function that work. Yeah, but in its core, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it's really about opening up.
0: So the, the strategy process you describe in your book seems to be a sort of traditional ideation, formulation, execution a sort of linear sequence of, of, of mental operations, and you apply the concepts of openness to that. Of course, that's only one way of organizing a strategy process. You can have emergent strategy, you can have iterative, adaptive strategy, and so on. Are you mainly talking about the application of openness to a linear process? Or, or is your intention to apply the concept more generally to all forms of strategy?
1: Yeah, more generally, I would say, yeah. So this was a way to organize the book as well. We thought, you know, if we use these three boxes, the ideation, the formulation, and the execution, these are things that people understand already, and we can then talk about what happens in that. But I think, you know, more broadly, it is useful also in other settings. Where I guess I would be careful is there's, of course, some settings where maybe it's less applicable and less useful than in other settings.
0: Yes, well, we can come on to that in a second. But first, I wanted to ask you about a particular form of strategy that involves necessarily openness, and that is the rise of ecosystems. So digital ecosystems accounted for none of the world's 10 largest companies 10 years ago, by my count, and, and now seven of the world's 10 largest companies are multi-hundred player, multi-sided digital marketplaces. So in some sense, strategy and execution must involve others. It, it certainly doesn't involve a linear internal deductive planning process, But actually, practices seem to vary widely. How would you interpret how open strategy works in the case of of ecosystems?
1: That's an interesting question. So one thing we notice yeah, when we work with companies, one of the tools that we introduce is this nightmare competitor tool, where you dream up the worst nightmare that could happen to you and then use that as a reflection point. And I guess it's not surprising that most often the nightmare competitor that the company think of is a particular platform and ecosystem because it's so hard to attack. And by involving others in this ideation process, some of them see a path to actually realizing this nightmare themselves. So I would say roughly 25% of those who run through the workshop actually try to introduce this idea themselves. So 75% uses really more as, okay, how do we prepare and defend ourselves against this? Yeah, so, so it
0: naturally lands into this. That's very interesting. So you're saying that Openness in strategy can be not just developing a strategy, it can be a, a means of organizing into new structures in some sense. It can absolutely, yeah. And you know, not just because you run one of these open strategy exercises. Of course, there's lots of work afterwards to be done, but it can be a starting point for that. And we've seen that that happening. So let's come on to benefits. One of the benefits you talk about is resilience against disruption, which is important nowadays, are there Other obvious benefits that struck you in your research of a more open approach to strategy? Yeah, so there's three which I would see primarily. First of all, the quality
1: of the strategy that you come up with. You know, multiple studies show that if you engage a wider set of people, you have more robust ideas. You get lots of rubbish as well. But there is these few gems which you need to find when engaging a large group of people, and that helps you to have you know a higher quality strategy. So that's the first one. The second one is that you become faster. And that's slightly counterintuitive. Because initially, by having to involve more people, having to train them how to engage in these conversations, you're slower, of course. But then the connection to putting things into practice, realizing the strategy, that happens much faster because this connection between ideation and mobilization is much, much permanent. Hence, you overall actually become faster. And finally, I've sort of indicated that already. It's this strong advantage in mobilization. Most strategies fail in terms of execution in realizing it. Studies vary, but most of them above 50% would say that's the reason why strategy fails. And of course, if people are involved in creating an idea, then they're much, much more on board. And if you allow me, I'll share a sort of quick, nice story on that. Yeah. This is an unusual one. That's why I wanted to share it. There was a lady who went out to Indonesia and noticed that deforestation is a big, big problem. Now, of course, there's lots of NGOs who are trying to tackle this particular issue. But she decided that she was from the United States here. Yeah, by us providing an answer, in reality, things don't don't work out. So she engaged in something which she called radical listening. I would call it open strategy, where she talked to the locals and she found out that for the locals the problem really was you have to cut down trees if you have a medical emergency because that's the only way to get quick cash. So she started to set up an NGO and worked with those people brought some of them on board trying to find a, a solution how you can stop them from uh, from logging but at the same time solve the medical issue. And what they put in place then in the end is number 1 you get massive reductions of medical costs if your village does not participate in deforestation. And secondly, they accepted, because they kind of had doctors in the NGO then as well, they accepted as payment things like manure and set up some organic farming practices, which they then taught the locals so that they found ways to actually farm without cutting down the forest, yeah? So the mobilization issue that you have in this particular issue was not there because the idea, the solution came from the people themselves.
0: So in a sense, you're saying that open strategy may be a a good way of developing strategies, but also it's emerging in a sense of implementation and strategy because you're pre-investing, you're preemptively investing in, I guess, engagement and understanding and and ownership.
1: Absolutely. And if you push me, I would say the second one is the even more important one, the mobilization, getting everybody involved. Executives have access to so much information at the moment that probably they have lots of ideas that they get. But then how do you get everyone on board with this? You're sitting in a subsidiary in Germany, in Malaysia, wherever, There's a new directive coming from headquarters in London, New York or so. Does it sound sensible to you or not? You might kind of decide to sit it out. You might not understand. You don't know what to do about it. But if you're involved, that's not the case.
0: So let's investigate the other side of the equation. Presumably, the wisdom of crowds can become the The madness of crowds can become groupthink, can become chaos and randomness. What are the downsides and what are some of the important things you can do to guard against them?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I kind of indicated that earlier, you don't hand over decision rights. Yeah, And you need to be explicit about the process, that you don't raise expectations which you can't meet. Now if you do then exactly what you point out happens. A nice example is Premium Cola, an initiative in Germany where they picked up an old recipe from a popular soft drink Afri-Cola, because that was stopped to produce and got members. I think it was 1700 members and all of them could voice their opinion on strategy. There was no clarity on who would make any final decisions. The whole thing never came to anything because it was it was chaotic. And it was things discussed that were irrelevant to strategy as well. So, so you know, the careful management of process is really critical if you want to run that.
0: More generally, I think any evolutionary process must balance divergence or mutation or variation. And clearly, you're going to get a lot more of that by listening to people that think in different ways, but also convergence and selection. And I'm wondering how, in the process, you can balance divergence and convergence. Especially in the context of social polarization, the openness of social media tools do not always result in convergence. They often result in more and more extreme polarization. So going back to your cola example, you know, if you took an unopinionated audience and as a result of your intervention, you, you developed, you know, a 50-50 sort of holy war around cola flavors or something, this, this could be problematic. So how do you balance divergence and convergence?
1: So if you use technology tools, there's actually sort of nice ways to do that. I mentioned the strategy jam in the beginning from Barclays, yeah? These are discussion forums where you have moderators and you need to have strong moderators. I think it's the same as, you know, if you lead a workshop on strategy, what I haven't said in one, I'm sure you have a strong voice in there as well, yeah? And, and you provide some sort of direction. So these moderators will matter. Now, if we sort of move further towards the end of the process, then there's also analytical tools that you can use to filter out what are particularly important opinions that stick out which ones are getting more traction than others. And that actually helps you to get a view where some consensus sit. Even in very complex and difficult settings, this could help. I had a conversation with Michael Ryan, who is one of the most senior policy security policymakers in the world. He used to work at the Pentagon. In the wake of COVID, they set up a strategy jam that involved Close to 3,000 people from NATO and the European Union in an era where it's very, very hard to find any consensus. Yeah, there's national interests, but even within nations, you have various different interest groups. As a result of this jam, yeah, where you had moderated discussion forums, where you had analytical tools to tease out the facts that were particularly strong, he said that there was a momentum a common and shared understanding of some themes that was not so clear before and helped them to move forward. Now, you know, in policymaking, you don't have a clear answer because you don't have a CEO who can just make decisions, but there were stronger agreements across nations and individuals who were important voices than they had seen before. For example, around the dragon bear effect, the other security
0: risk posed by China and Russia for NATO. So let me ask you about the legitimacy of the results. In a conventional strategy process, you reach a result often through an analytical or a deductive process, often with quantification. And therefore the legitimacy comes from financial logic or it comes from you know, deductive logic. Also, and sometimes from authority, you know, who is who is saying that this is the strategy? In a more participative process, you know, I guess you have the benefit that more people participate, you get more ideas. But is there a danger? I can imagine two possible dangers in terms of legitimacy. One of them is that if the filtering process at the end of the ideation doesn't change, it could apply exactly the same biases that you would have had with a more closed process. So, how do you open the legitimacy function, as it were, the judgment function? And I guess the other one is that you get strong social trends. You may actually create mobilization in favor of an alternative that may or may not be the best alternative. So, what are your thoughts on not just converging, but converging on the right strategy?
1: First of all, I would also
0: distinguish
1: here between The ideation part and the mobilization part. Yeah. We've discussed mobilization a little bit before, and here legitimacy often comes from, well, people are involved, they understand. So it will be easier to get legitimacy with a larger crowd inside the company if they've been involved. That doesn't necessarily answer that this this is the right idea, yes, which brings us to the ideation part. First of all, the authority is still there. You know, that is not changed, same as in, in the more conventional way of doing strategy. Secondly, Open strategy is not necessarily excluding any of those analytical tools as well, yeah? Often, you get initial ideas, and then a second step is, is exactly to engage, you know, in the analysis that you would typically do in strategy. You would build financial models, etc. yeah? So it's not an either-or, but I think it's an enrichment of the strategy process as we know it.
0: As a new thing, I guess there might be a sort of Hawthorne effect here. If you do strategy in a different way, a more participative way, even let's take the extreme case, what you end up with is exactly what you would have ended up with There may be benefits of novelty or participation. But if we zoom forward five years and let's take a scenario where everybody is doing this, so openness per se doesn't confer any competitive advantage, where does the edge migrate to when we're all doing open strategy?
1: With many strategy tools, I would say you're right. Yeah, If many use it, then we have a problem. Partly because then we become more similar. So, say for example we all use benchmarking, yeah? We all look the same afterwards because we, we're trying to copy our, our competitors. And if the sort of very core of a successful strategy is that I build something that is different from everybody else, then obviously that, that's a bad scenario. Now, in open strategy, in fact, the more people use it, the more different ideas will become. Yeah? People become more familiarized, they will talk to a wider group of people, but two companies will not necessarily come up with the same or very similar ideas just because they use open strategy. So I don't think that particular danger is there with with an organization. Now, of course, those who run the process particularly well, who find the right participants in that process will benefit even more from this. And if you don't get enough diversity, if you don't get the right diversity, et cetera, these are things that some companies will get right and some companies get wrong. So in the way how you run this process exactly, I think does lie some of the edges as well that you can gain on your competition.
0: I guess a particular scenario occurs to me, which is that if we make a simple assumption, which is there is a best strategy, if you consider all facts and possibilities, you know, it's possible that an open strategy may give you a high probability of accessing that best strategy. But if everybody's doing the same thing, then in a way, it may reinforce traditional strategic logic. For instance, if participation in my ecosystem turns out to be the key limiting factor in in the best strategy, then presumably it comes back to who is qualified to be an orchestrator, how attractive is my value proposition, which becomes a more traditional type of strategic question. So could it be that there's an exploration benefit in that you've got a greater chance of uncovering the best strategy, but you still need to do the rigorous traditional strategy to assess whether you can do that better than somebody else?
1: Yeah, I'll sign up to that. So, sounds very reasonable absolutely
0: so i mean there's good strategy and bad strategy the famous rommelt book what does bad strategy look like what is open strategy what is incompetently executed open strategy look like
1: one of the big problems is if you do this more as window dressing is a little pr exercise but you never quite take it serious then you can really disillusion people in your organisation i will give you an example a german manufacturing company CEO wasn't sort of entirely sure, but it sounded nice, you know, so, so let's let's do it. There were two camps forming in the company then, one which was was not too keen to rock the boat, yeah, do things as they were. The other group was going towards a very different kind of approach of doing sales, yeah, much less technology-driven, et cetera. But in the end, then, having never been fully on board, uh, he got cold feet, yeah, and said, no, okay, you know, let's just do things how, how they were, yeah. and. That half of the group that wanted something very different were quite disillusioned. If it would have been clear from the beginning that this is really just to test some new things, but you know, we're likely to stick with where we are, it would be different, yeah. But it hasn't been articulated as such. So expectations were were really raised. That's one thing where, where things can go really wrong.
0: So I guess that's about the open-mindedness of the people running the open strategy process, another sort of openness, I guess. That reminds me of a common breakout and flip chart sort of session. You, know, you have the participation of breakout groups in a strategy offsite and then they present their findings on a flip chart and everything is duly carried away and people are thanked. And then the strategy is announced at some later point in time and you're never entirely sure, was, was this just taken into account or was this just some sort of process to mollify my feelings? I guess it depends upon the, the openness of the people doing the listening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's one of the big issues certainly to bear in mind. Another one would be the sensitive information, of course, that the core team, the top team in an organization holds, and they need to be very careful of what they want and what they do not want to share. There is ways to design the process that it's not necessary a problem. I have a nice story again in this space, yeah, of how this could be handled. So a few years ago, there was a open contest online where people were asked to provide. Help with a particular problem of bison migration in the United States. Every year, you have these bisons migrating throughout the national parks. And the question was you know, if you use pictures that people post online, which have sort of geodata sort of and other sort of indicators, you can develop algorithms to follow patterns and understand where this migration happens. And, you know, substantial participation. Uh, the organizers were, were quite happy. Now, what People never knew is that this was actually not a contest about Bison migration. This was about the migration of Russian troops in Crimea. And it was set up by the U.S. intelligence services. Now, they dressed it up in a way where people, you know, helped them to provide this algorithm without them knowing what exactly they were addressing. It's an extreme situation, of of course, yeah, but you, you can mask things and decide what you share and what you don't share.
0: So there's probably all sorts of process lessons there about setting expectations, setting protocols for privacy and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before I ask you my, my last question, which is how to execute all of this, let me just go slightly broader for a second. You write about all sorts of things. You write about the longevity of companies. You teach strategy broadly. Presumably you'd say that openness is a big trend in strategy. If we go 10 years into the future and 10 years into the past, Apart from openness, what will be some of the other big changes we'd see in, in how strategy is, is conducted, do you think?
1: If I may, you know, I love the recent work on, on imagination. So uh, which, which glitches well, I think, with openness. I think that's certainly something that becomes more and more important as, as we move forward. We need to dream up new ideas, you know, and there's a playfulness in some of those tools that you introduce as well, which I think will make the whole strategy process more fun as well. I think that will be prevailing. Big questions for me is whether there will be a divergence, you know, in terms of different places in the world. We have emerging economies who become stronger and stronger, but things are organized quite differently in some of them. Yeah, China is the obvious one. Yeah, Will there be a different way of doing strategy over there? I
0: don't have the answer, Yeah, but uh, I think that will be an interesting question for the future as well. Let me maybe prompt you just on technology. You know, The cognitive power of artificial intelligence increases, and many predict, I was talking to Kai-Fu Lee yesterday, and he predicts that it will be part of the fabric of, of everything. It will change anything with a cognitive component, which is basically all human activity. What would you predict? I haven't seen the enormous applications of AI in strategy departments outside the financial sector, but what would you predict the role of AI might be in five, 10 years' time in strategy?
1: I think, you know, that using it as an analytical tool, for sure, it has, has a future. I'm somewhat reluctant to see it as a replacement for the work that human beings do. Where AI is less good at is seeing things that are completely out of the box, completely different. And these are the things that often provide the biggest shocks, yeah, financial crisis, COVID. Now, not that humans are, you know, immeasurably great in, in predicting these things, but we probably have a way of adjusting to this that is different from what what AI would do. So I, I don't think a computer is going to replace the CEO in a few years down the line, but computers will assist them in certain tasks.
0: So let me come on to my, my last question. So supposing that a senior executive listening to this says, yeah, I, I'd like to take my traditional process and, and make it more open. You've written about the way that open strategy is, but let me ask you about getting from A to B. How would you think about taking the first steps towards making your strategy or traditional strategy process more open?
1: So the first thing I would test myself, am I ready for open strategy? We have a little tool in the book here where you can see how ready you are to be open, how comfortable are we serendipity? Can you deal with uncertainty? Do you mind if Not all the decision rights lie with you, yeah? So, you know, do this little test for yourself to see if you're prepared to do that, which brings me back to an earlier point, if the senior team doesn't really buy into it, the whole thing will fall flat down the line. Now, if that is a positive answer, then I would start to experiment, yeah? Don't take your main core business and open it up immediately. Take one of the smaller initiatives that you have and try and see and test how it is. Recently, Stefan, one of the co authors, have worked with Dr. Ertke in Germany, and they've taken the cereal business as a first step, which is important, but not the core, not the biggest business. We're really happy, got familiar with how this works, and now they're doing it for pizza, which is the, the biggest business they have. Yeah? So kind of you know, learn how to use this new approach as well, and, and don't just sort of jump yeah, and, and do it for your core business.
0: So thank you so much, Christian, for spending time with me today, discussing your new book, Open Strategy, Mastering Disruption from Outside the C-Suite, which is coming out soon from MIT Press in October, I believe. Correct. I think it's the 12th of October. So thanks again, Christian. Very enlightening.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.